You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, How to Turn Your Independent Film into a Money-Making Business by Alex Ferrari. For a free copy of the audiobook, head over to www.filmbizbook.com. Welcome to the Director Series Podcast, a show dedicated to deconstructing the work of some of cinema's most celebrated and influential film directors. I'm your host, Cameron Bile. Fresh off the whirlwind shoot of 1972's Boxcar Bertha for producer Roger Corman, Scorsese was sat down by his friend and mentor, John Cassavetes, and told that the film's high quality put him at risk of being boxed into a career in cheap exploitation films. He encouraged Scorsese to make something personal and risky, to use his gifts to truly express who he was, to imprint his voice onto the physical medium of film so that audiences could inhabit his worldview. In short, he was challenged to make, as Scorsese himself would later describe it, a declaration, a statement of who he was. Towards that end, he turned to his memories of running around Little Italy with his gang of friends, and of growing up within a rough-and-tumble community shadow-governed by the mob. He pulled inspiration from the hushed dinner-table arguments he used to eavesdrop on between his father and his uncle, who often found himself financially entangled with mafiosos and loan sharks. The script, co-written by Mardik Martin, his directorial assistant on Who's That Knocking at My Door, was initially titled Season of the Witch, and told the story of a young hood reconciling his conscience and religious belief against the lifestyle of organized crime that produced him. Scorsese's premise proved so appealing that Corman offered to finance the entire thing, with the caveat that he switched the narrative focus on Little Italy to the city's African-American community. However, the fruits of diversity were not on Corman's agenda. The urban black exploitation audience was simply another concentrated market that could be targeted and profited from. It was a tough spot for Scorsese. Sure, he would get the film made, but the whole point of making it, an expression of his most personal self, would be moot. Soon enough, another source of funding presented itself, in the guise of a young man named Jonathan Taplin, who worked as the road manager to the band and wanted to transition into film producing. Scorsese's friend and collaborator Verna Bloom put the two men in touch, and in short order, the $600,000 needed to make the film was present and accounted for. The resulting film, subsequently named Mean Streets, after a passage in Raymond Chandler's essay The Simple Act of Murder, would finally provide Scorsese with the necessary escape velocity to pursue directing full-time, while introducing mainstream cinema to the raw power of his artistic spirit. Hey, hey, what's the matter with this kid, huh? Hey, there ain't nothing wrong with me, my friend. I'm feeling fine. Keep your mouth shut. What's the move? Far from the elegant, old-world, and muddied mafia depicted a year prior in Francis Ford Coppola's The Godfather, Main Streets displays how a closet of fine Italian suits can still end up in a slummy tenement building. Harvey Keitel fulfills the promise he showed in Who's That Knocking at My Door in the central role of Charlie, a small-time hood rising up the criminal world's ranks. He is still somewhat on the outskirts, not yet a made man himself. He's held at arm's length by his higher-ups, mostly because of his lack of seniority, but also because of his jerk-off friends, whose wild ways constantly get him into trouble by virtue of association. His friend Johnny Boy is the worst of the bunch, an unpredictable loose cannon who owes money to just about everybody in the neighborhood and can't ever seem to pay anything back. Johnny Boy's in hot water with Michael, a local loan shark whose patience is growing quite thin. Charlie feels responsible for Johnny Boy, 
partly because of the fact that their circle of friends looks to him as their unofficial leader, but also because he's romantically involved with Johnny Boy's cousin, Teresa. As he schmoozes with the sharks in a bid to solve Johnny Boy's debt problems before they get out of hand, Charlie finds himself dragged into Johnny Boy's downward spiral, and realizes he has to cut ties from everything he's ever known if he's to make it out of this alive. Take away all of its ascetic brilliance or its influential approach to music, and Mean Streets would still be one of the most important films of Scorsese's career. Why? Robert De Niro. Scorsese and De Niro are practically joined at the hip as far as cinematic history is concerned, their series of collaborations having resulted in several iconic classics. Even before their first partnership in Mean Streets, the two men had unwittingly been circling each other socially since boyhood, where they were members of separate rival gangs. As his acting career gained momentum, De Niro was slowly working his way towards Scorsese's orbit, first working with their mutual friend Brian De Palma on his early features The Wedding Party, Hi Mom, and Greetings, and then with Roger Corman on Bloody Mama, the film whose success Corman wished Scorsese to replicate with Boxcar Bertha. They would finally meet at a Christmas party hosted by Jay Cox, and the result speaks for itself. De Niro and Scorsese's volatile chemistry literally explodes off the screen, but the latter finally finding a muse to embody and electrify his voice in the former. Indeed, De Niro looms so large over the proceedings that it's easy to forget Mean Streets is technically Keitel's film. The Who's That Knocking at My Door lead could take some consolation in the fact that his performance would become a calling card for his own career, hoping to mold the contours of the archetypical Scorsese protagonist as that of an ambitious man caught between the material and carnal temptations of modernity and the rigid, self-flagellating dogma of the old world. Keitel slips so seamlessly into the role that it boggles the mind to learn that John Voight was initially supposed to play the part. He had to quite literally stand by while Voight waffled over taking the role, delaying his final decision up until the last possible second before cameras rolled on his first scene. When he called to inform Scorsese he was passing, Keitel was standing beside the director in costume, ready to step into frame at a moment's notice and seize his destiny. Of the remaining cast, Richard Romanus and Amy Robinson make notable impressions. As the chief antagonist, a lone shark named Michael, Romanus projects an icy, restrained demeanor that's quite effective. As the sole female presence amidst all this unchecked machismo, Robinson holds her own as a force to be reckoned with, as well as Charlie's refuge from a brutal, cold world. Scorsese also peppers in a few cameos from his Boxcar Bertha cast, namely David Carradine as a drunk who refuses to die. Additionally, Scorsese himself makes an appearance as one of Michael's gunmen, tasked with a consequential plot contrivance that hurdles Mean Streets towards its chaotic close. Scorsese's third feature film was shot over a period of 27 days in the fall of 1972, with only six of them spent in New York City. That the bulk of the film was actually shot in Los Angeles and still feels so authentic to its Manhattan backdrop as a testament to Scorsese's strength with personal storytelling. Lensed by cinematographer Kent Wakeford, Mean Streets builds on the rough-hewn aesthetic Scorsese established with Who's That Knocking at My Door? itself profoundly influenced by the ascetic of his mentor, John Cassavetes. A significant portion of the film is handheld, giving Mean Streets a gritty and tough feel that lends itself well to fast cuts and bold compositions, the boldest of which is arguably the strapping of a camera onto Keitel's body, pointed at his face for a woozy, drunken feel that Darren Aronofsky would use even more effectively a generation later in Requiem for a Dream. The overall approach combines realism and expressionism to become a flashpoint in the development of modern crime cinema's visual language. The experimentation that gives Mean Streets its vibrant originality extends to the editing, which was performed by Scorsese himself under the consultation of Sidney Levin, 
who ended up receiving the on-screen credit because of his membership in the Editor's Guild. While shot predominantly on 35mm film, Scorsese's edit also incorporates the home movie aesthetic afforded by the 8mm film gauge during the opening credits. You don't make up for your sins in the church. You do it in the streets. You do it at home. The rest is bullshit and you know it. He also weaves in voiceover that presents as Charlie's inner monologue, but is actually recorded by Scorsese himself in an attempt to separate his protagonist's thoughts from his actions, a technique he borrowed from Federico Fellini's 1953 film I, Vitaloni. One of Mean Street's most enduring legacies can also be ascribed to Scorsese's work as a whole, which is the popularization of the jukebox soundtrack, or the wall-to-wall incorporation of pre-recorded needle drops, a boon to record labels' profit margins, and a curse to original score composers everywhere. Mean Streets, in particular, uses an abundance of music from popular acts of the era, like the Rolling Stones and the Ronettes, combining it with Italian folk music and opera to give us a sense of history and cultural heritage existing in concert with the fast-paced modern world. Though Who's That Knocking at My Door hinted at their existence, Mean Streets marks the first time that Scorsese's key ascetic fascinations really come into focus. It's a New York City-set story about the experience of Italian-American immigrants chasing their own version of the American dream. But, as a put-upon, disenfranchised minority, they must bend the rules if they hope to even play the game. They accumulate money and power through illegitimate means, and hold on to it through the use of violence and intimidation— which Scorsese depicts as messy, chaotic, and unorganized as it is in real life. The Feast of San Gennaro, the famous festival that unfolds annually in the streets of Little Italy, factors heavily into Mean Street's plot. A further illustration of Scorsese's fascination with his Italian heritage, as well as a device in which to introduce religious iconography into a film about amoral, murderous mobsters. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now, back to the show. The burden of faith hangs heavily over the film, looming especially large in the consciousness of Keitel's character. He's always testing how long he can hold his finger to an open flame, which calls to mind the fire and brimstone imagery of old-school Roman Catholicism, as well as the self-flagellating approach to atoning for one's sins. Keitel's character's motivations are driven out of a fundamental Catholic guilt, from his association with his friends to his courtship with his girlfriend, but his constant doubt about his worthiness in Jesus' eyes gives Mean Streets a rich, ideological complexity that feels just as relevant today as it did then. Mean Streets debuted at the New York Film Festival to standing ovations and near-unanimous critical applause, hailed for its boldness in storytelling and the technical mastery of craft despite its low budget. Famed critic Pauline Kael compared it to Ivid Aloni as a triumph of personal filmmaking, and rightly so. Mean Streets is essentially a cinematic declaration by Scorsese, announcing his presence to the world and just what he thought of it. It was a career breakout for both the young director and his two leads, and with De Niro in particular, it was the blossoming of a long, fruitful working relationship that continues to this day. Indeed, Mean Streets plays like Scorsese's true first feature, wherein his ascetic was solidified and the potent cocktail of elements that constitute a Scorsese film first took shape. It may have been eclipsed several times over by the towering classics he's made since, but Mean Street's own staying power would be validated by its induction into the National Film Registry in 1997, ensuring that Scorsese's electrifying breakout will be accessible to film lovers for generations to come. (laughs) 
Thank you for listening to the Director Series. For a deeper dive into your favorite filmmakers, go to www.directorseries.net. The Director Series is made possible in large part by our generous supporters on Patreon. Please visit us at patreon.com backslash director series to see how your contribution enables the continued production of video essays and text articles on your favorite contemporary and classic film directors. Thank you.